0: Here we go. Welcome to Season 11 of Board Game with Education. I'm excited to be back. This season, like I mentioned in our preview episode, we have some really fantastic topics lined up for the season. You can go back to our last episode. I'm not going to go over all those topics again. I uh, just want to talk about today's topic, which is with Carl. And we talk about using games to either introduce new content or looking at games to reinforce content that was already taught. So we talk about some challenges to both those. We talk about some benefits to both of those. So be sure to stick around. I'm also joined by co-host Rich today. And we dive a little bit deeper into the topic after the discussion. And before we get into the episode, I want to share with you one thing that's super exciting that we are going to this week, TantrumCon. So tantrumcon.com is an online virtual convention. You can go there on to their website and check out their schedule for events. Really excited to be part of this because it's free. Um, And like I've mentioned so many times, In the past, on other podcasts or whenever I chat with someone about board games, modern board games, how to get involved, especially during this time, well, this is a perfect example of a way to get involved. Because it's free, the barrier to entry to go to this is literally nothing. You just go to their YouTube channel and you can engage in the virtual convention. Also, you can go to tantrumcon.com and sign up to be a part of the audience. So there's a backstage Zoom room that you can be a part of as well. So if you want to take that extra step and engage as an audience member, do that as well. Uh, I'm excited for this because they have a lot of fun prizes, a lot of fun competitions, a lot of ways to engage with board games, and a lot of new games from publishers. So again, tantrumcon.com. We actually will have an episode on Friday chatting more about that convention. So stay tuned for that. Now let's get into the episode for today.
1: Board Gaming with Education, a podcast for anyone curious about how games and education mix. We explore various topics like game-based learning, gamification, and board games, and the impacts they have on learning. Here's your host, Dustin Stats.
0: So welcome to another episode of Board Game with Education. We have a topical discussion episode today and I'm joined again by Rich, long time back host or longtime co-host back again. Uh, Rich, welcome back to the show.
2: How's it going, everybody?
0: So we are going to chat with Carl. Well, I'm going to chat with Carl. We're going to talk about games to introduce new content or reinforce previously learned content. And Rich and I will have a little follow-up discussion about that afterwards. What's kind of cool and why I'm excited to have Rich on the show is they share a similar background in that Carl had done some teaching for Japanese students and Rich had lived in Japan. Um, So there's kind of an overlap there. They have different content areas that they teach, but as well as they've taught English language learners. So that's something that all three of us kind of share in common, too. So let's get into that conversation, and we'll be back in just maybe about 20, 30 minutes. Uh, Welcome to another Board Gaming with Education episode. This is a topic-based episode, and we're chatting about using games to either reinforce content or introduce new content. And I'm thrilled to be joined today by Carl rahen camp i think i pronounced that right i asked you yesterday but now i'm realizing <laughs> again i should have asked again <laughs> Good enough. um and he is a science teacher and also a solo board game reviewer for the youtube channel purple moose plays uh carl would you mind introducing yourself a little bit more to our listeners
1: sure um so as you said i'm a science teacher and a reviewer of sorts um i've been teaching now as a science teacher this is my 10th year i guess um And I did a couple years of English teaching in Japan before that, but I've been a board gamer sort of all my life and rediscovered it, I want to say about eight eight years ago or so. And uh, at the time in the science class, I was trying to find unique ways to start teaching more of my stuff. And I thought if I could find a way to bring board games into the class, it would be a whole lot of fun. So why not try it? Um, And then as far as the review thing goes, this year with COVID, I was home teaching online and had a lot of time at home and I've been curious to start doing reviews and playthroughs of videos. So I had a camera sitting around and gave it a shot. And now I've been doing it for the last four or five months and it's been a ton of fun.
0: That's really awesome. I'm I'm curious to hear about and maybe our listeners, what are some games that you've
1: been playing solo on your channel? Um the the nice thing is I, I enjoy playing new games all the time. So I sort of go through them quickly. I've got a fairly small collection that I rotate through. As much as i can um but yeah the, the most recent one that i've been playing for a preview that's coming up is a chinese game called Ping Yao first chinese banks it's a dice placement game about banking in ancient china it's been really pretty pretty cool game to check out and i'm excited to show the video for that one next month
0: awesome yeah i definitely want to check that out too because i mean we chatted a little bit about um living abroad in asia and i think that's pretty interesting to both of us i'm sure all right so Let's let's get into our topic. Uh, the first thing I want to chat about before we get into game-based learning or using games in teaching is to look at the broader idea of using games, either or not, the broader idea of using uh, teaching practices to either reinforce content or introduce new content. So, could you share maybe from your perspective what those two things look like?
1: Sure. I mean, traditionally, you think of introducing content as a lecture, standing in front of the students, sort of teaching them, these are the things that you should know, and this is how they work. And then sort of reviewing the content would be giving them a worksheet or, or doing something to have them answer questions to show that they've learned the content. And that tradition is sort of very old and very boring. And I try my best to get away from those old, boring traditions. Um, so introducing content is got to be... a A way that you sort of bring up prior knowledge and prior experience and find a good way to connect to things the students already know to sort of help them pick up new information and connect it and build a a structure or some kind of support system that helps them understand what they're learning. Um, I also, even when I am lecturing, like to sort of rather than telling the students things, asking them questions that are leading in such a way that they use prior knowledge that I've taught them to sort of make guesses or or assumptions on things that they haven't really learned about yet, but they should be able to figure out based on what they already know. Um, And then after that, reviewing content could be a a variety of ways. Of course, worksheets do work occasionally. Um, Conversations with a partner or a group in the class. Um, Hands-on activities, of course. In a science class, there's lots of usage of of demos and labs and those kinds of things to actually try out the things you've learned and show that you can understand things in a real-life situation. Um, But it's always a challenge to find out, to to come up with new and interesting ways to review or to make sure the students have actually picked up what you're hoping they picked up on.
0: That's really awesome. You gave me, you also gave me some flashbacks of being in high school in the lab and trying to uh, replicate some experiments and not really, (laughs) not doing it it the way it's supposed to all the time. Uh, So, I want to kind of look at this idea because you just chatting about it now makes me think of my experience and playing the board game Wingspan and looking at Mm -hmm. birds. I know nothing about birds and playing the game. It's been a while since I played, so I I forgot everything I had learned in the past, but uh, playing the game, it has like bird facts on there. A A lot of the mechanics in the game operate as if the birds were in real life. For example, the hawk. Uh, there's Mm -hmm. a mechanic where you flip over the top card and if it's a certain size, the hawk eats that bird and you get a point because if you have that bird as part of your uh, tableau or whatever. So I'm wondering, what would that look like in the classroom?
1: Um, Well, there's actually, I got very lucky because I'd say four or five years ago, um, I've come across a company called Genius Games. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Um, But they do a ton of really cool science games that, the biggest thing for me when you bring a, bring a game into the classroom is I don't want it to be flashcards or just a trivia game or something that's basically just class turned into cards. I want it to be a game that functions as a game first that also presents content in a way that help, is helpful in class, but the students are actually having fun with the game as well or they're not going to want to play the game. And uh, this, game has a, or this company has a couple of games that I feel really, really do that very well. Um, the first one I introduced into my class that I really enjoyed is a game called Ion. And it's basically a card drafting game that you're drafting ions and then you're pairing them up to make sets that form ionic compounds and then scoring based on the compounds that you can create. Um, And I I really enjoyed this one because I could use this both, as as we said, to introduce content or to review content because of the way that the game is structured. Because I've got these ion cards, so I can treat those as as sort of flashcards to use as part of a lecture or as part of an interactive explanation of something and then let the students play the game and understand how these cards combine first and then come back and talk about how those are combining and why those are combining in that way and sort of use that to sort of bridge into the conversation about what are ions and how do they form compounds and why are these compounds important?
0: Yeah, definitely. Genius Games, we're happy that they were one of the first publishing companies that we, games of games we carried on our site. And Oh, that's great. Yeah, I've had a chance to play Ion. And what's really cool is it's very it's a very simple game right i feel like my wife and i were able to get through a game in like 15 minutes but we're 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 gamers and we kind of know how the game how games work and we kind of don't really take a lot of time on our turns and we go through it so it's something you can really use in the classroom and it it does give you that basic understanding of compounds and balancing equations and then it shows you real world examples of compounds right um I think uh I'm trying to remember some of them on there. There's probably salt on there. Uh
1: Yeah, I think so. There's, there's definitely simple acids and bases. I think there's HCl and NaOH and those kinds of yeah, simple
0: compounds. That's awesome. So, as far so this would be would you use a game like Ion as a review or to introduce content or
1: maybe both? Well, see, that's that's the thing. I I I originally just used it because I love games and I wanted to bring games into the classroom. And I thought, Hey, the kids will have fun to play the games in class. Um, so I've tried it both ways. I'm not sure yet which way works better, but yeah. Um, it can be done as a, as a introduction of content. As I explained, if you use the cards and you walk through the cards and how the cards represent ions and what those ions are and how those ions combine. And if you play the game, obviously with the rules of the game aiming for those scoring goals, the students have to learn how to pair certain sets of cards as part of the gameplay. And then after they've done that, that gives them some background knowledge that when you start to introduce the content about how ionic compounds form and how the ions have a positive and a negative charge, and they need to balance out to zero. And if they've got that sort of pairing and grouping idea in their head already, it might be easier to introduce those concepts. But at the same time, If I've already taught them those concepts, playing that game is a good way for them to go back in and and have a chance to sort of play around with the ideas that they've learned already and really see physically how these things are combining together. I mean, not in a chemical way, but at least in a in a grouping sort of way to, to turn into these compounds. So I think it works in either direction. I'm not sure yet which is better, but I think they're both worth exploring.
0: Right, right. That's I mean, that's really solid point is it probably can be used for both, right? It's kind of a idea that's worth exploring. Um, I'm trying to think as far as my experience as far as using it to introduce new content. A lot of times for English language teaching, I would say it's more of a way to practice what was already introduced. Um, Yeah, I don't know. If, do you have any experience as far as Using games in an English language classroom, I don't know. I'm trying to think of ways. Maybe you would be able to use a game to introduce new language, but I think that would be a challenge, right?
1: Yeah, I think in an English classroom, introducing would be tricky. I mean, I think, I mean, I've only taught in ESL classes, so most of our sort of content was new phrases or new vocabulary or things like that, and generally, we just started by sort of just introducing those phrases. Practicing those phrases and then, yeah, creating a game that allowed the students to make use of those phrases in the game. So using it as an introduction of content in the English class might be tricky.
0: Right. Yeah, I think that would be very challenging. I I would be curious to hear if anyone's listening, they have any ideas as far as using a game to introduce language. I think maybe for, like, pronunciation, you could do something... Uh, like a speed-based game for pronouncing new words? And you can... Because uh, I, I imagine we always talk about using games and being comfortable failing and that being okay. So I, I wonder if you would try to use a pronunciation game. Now, that would still be tough because you still would want to model how to pronounce the word before playing the game, right? So you're still kind of introducing the content first, very briefly, and then jumping into
1: the game. A game along the lines of I don't know any off the top of my head, but like, there's a game called snake oil. I don't know if you've ever heard of that before. Yeah. Yeah. Snake oil is awesome. Yeah. So something like that, but with vocabulary. So if you gave the students vocabulary that they've never seen before and sort of have them in some way come up with sort of definitions for words that are completely new to them before they've been told what they are and sort of turn that into a game and see if they can sort of work their way towards the correct definitions or something along that line. I don't know. It could be interesting, but tricky.
0: Yeah. That's actually, it's giving me an idea for something similar to using snake oil and giving them words and having them try to come up with what those definitions of those words mean. So maybe they're like making up the definitions and then they're making this connection between their made up definition and actually what it is. Like They might be defining a word, I don't know, like a hard drive as something that you go into the car and you are very well protected and if you get in a car accident you don't get hurt but then they actually go look up what a hard drive is and see it's memory for a computer and then they're kind of making this connection between oh i remember when i thought hard drive was something you get in a car but it's actually right. memory for a computer um yeah i don't know so that's that's kind of an interesting uh idea to explore i guess uh what would you say what are some good ways or ways you've maybe used in the past or ideas we can think of as far as uh, reinforcing content?
1: Um, well, uh, same, same thing I've already sort of mentioned with Ion, but there's another game, and I can't remember exactly. I think it's called Covalence. It's a sort of co-op game also from Genius Genius Games where you get a bunch of different sort of parts of organic molecules, carbons and oxygens and nitrogens with different kinds of bonds on them. And basically, there are hidden compounds on cards that one member of the team has to get the other members to guess by giving them hints that are on other cards. And they sort of have to use the hints and sort of guess at how those different pieces combine and actually which pieces at all are included in that compound. So that's something that after you've already learned about covalent bonding and how things combine together and you know how many bonds each element can make and those kinds of things, that once you've got that sort of baseline understanding That you can start, you have enough information to start making these predictions and try and figure out how these compounds are made. So I think that game works pretty well as a review of that content.
0: Right. Yeah. I've I've never played that game. I know it is. Yeah, another Genius Games game, and I'm sure knowing that it probably would work really well in the classroom. Since I haven't came across one that that doesn't work well as a board game for learning content. Um. Yeah, and maybe as far as language goes, that, and that's because that's my background, and you kind of did a little bit of language teaching too, or I guess eight years of it. So maybe not a little bit, but some. Um, and I think an obvious example of using game based learning is giving students the opportunity to practice the language that you maybe introduced to them. And one example I've done in the past is doing were, werewolf. So I introduced content and grammar structures and a little bit of vocabulary. I mean, it's not the most like useful vocabulary. Like werewolf is kind of more a fantastical term. And yeah, of course you want to know what that is if you're learning a language, but it's not a term for business English language learners. They don't really (laughs) need to know that term, but they definitely need to look at the grammar structures. Like I believe that Carl is a werewolf because, Mm -hmm. and supporting their opinion and also just getting up and practicing stating things in front of people in a different language. So kind of a communicative based
1: approach. It's interesting that you mentioned that. Have you heard or have you ever played the game where words?
0: Yeah, that's, that's one of my okay. favorite, <laughs> uh, party games. And cause it's just so uh-huh. quick to pull out. Uh, yeah, I had, um, I used it. I did, I ran an English language corner at the university. And so I used that a few times, but I had it in my bag once with, and I was sitting around with some international students, uh, with like, a, um, award contest. And afterwards we were sitting around I just pulled it out, and we just started playing, you know, because it's super easy to explain. You just go over the... You have 20 questions, kind of that game that you play in the car where you can only ask ask yes or no questions, and then you go over the rules of Werewolf, and it's very, very simple. Each game, each round is like two minutes, so you can just stop playing whenever.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a good one. It's sort of the same thing you were saying, but already sort of geared towards the English language thing, so I thought that would be a good one.
0: So we kind of chatted a little bit through email looking at teaching content and skill or keep either using games to teach content or to teach skill a new skill or reinforce skills when would you have used it to introduce a new skill or introduce content Give sure. examples um, of either of that or well, to this was sort something? of
1: brought up- brought upon by the the whole pandemic that we're going through right now because i'm not in a classroom everything i'm doing is distance learning and on top of that As I mentioned, I'm teaching at a boarding school for Japanese students right now. So, because they're not here with me in New York, they're mostly all back in Japan. So, we're on a weird schedule online, doing online learning. And so, I couldn't really do any real board game stuff in class. Um, In addition to that, I've been teaching or I've been creating this year a new science skills course for the ninth grade students at our school. And I was starting to look at observations and how to communicate observations and we were working through all of that kind of thing. And then I wanted to get across this sort of idea that scientists are sort of testing things in a variety of different ways, you know, different times, different places, different variables, and eventually working through these things, they get to theories and they get to laws after they've seen sort of the same things repeating over and over again. So I, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the game Zendo.
0: I'm not, I'm not, maybe you, and maybe you can explain a little bit of how
1: to play. Sure. Well, The real game, Zendo, comes with these little plastic pyramids. I think there's three different sizes and three different colors, maybe four. Um, I don't have the physical game. But basically what you do is one person is basically the the Zen master. And using those shapes, you create some kind of grouping of shapes. So maybe I have one green triangle facing up. I have one small red triangle laying on its side and and so on. And you create these small groupings of shapes. And there is some kind of rule that you're following when you make this. So you have to make one that follows the rule and another grouping that doesn't follow the rule. And that's all you, all the information you give. And then everybody else playing the game has to take their own shapes and make groupings that they think might be following the rule. And they can either ask you, does this follow the rule? And in which case you say yes or no, or they can say, I know the rule and they tell you what the rule is. And if the rule is correct, then of course they have won the game. But if the rule is incorrect, you have to show them a grouping that follows the rule that they've given you, but doesn't follow your own rule. Um, so they basically, you keep doing this over and over until, by looking at all the different groupings that have been made, you can slowly figure out what the original rule was. Um, now, I couldn't do this, obviously, with physical shapes with my students across the world for me. But basically, I just created a Google Sheets document, and in that sheet, I used... I guess three different size circles, three different size squares and three different size triangles. And then I told them they could be red, blue, yellow, or green. And then I just played live through Google sheets, had them all as shared members of that sheet while they were in a zoom session with me. And I gave them each their own page in the Google sheets. So basically anytime somebody had a a guess, they would tell me, I would jump to their sheet and tell them yes or no. And we played like that live on the internet and it, it really worked to help them understand this idea of iterative testing towards figuring out some kind of rule or the way the world works kind of a skill.
0: That's really awesome. And I am I look at it as a way to maybe reinforce some uh, deductive skills too, where if A equals B, then B must be C. I that's don't, I don't, not really my expertise, but...
1: No, that's for sure. No, but it was great because now that I've done this, as soon as I got done with that class, I started thinking, all right, once we're back in the classroom, there are games like Cryptid. Um, there's a brand new one from Renegade called The Search for Planet X. And these are all sort of games that have the same idea where you're looking at things on the board or looking at situations in the game and trying to come up with some hidden rule or some hidden information. So I think these, all of these kinds of games would work really well in the same situation.
0: Right. Yeah, the search for Planet X is one that we had played. I think it was a, it was one that we had I had played one of the m- like a game that I played more than others this year. Uh I I like it. It's a really good game, but I think my wife really enjoys it a little bit more. <laughs> and she thinks it's a
1: Well, I was I was excited for my I mean as a solo game reviewer and just a solo game fan in general it's the first time I've ever seen a deduction game that can be played solo because it has the app support with it. And I was really excited about right. that. Right.
0: Yeah. The app, I, I, I really, I don't know. I, I get really excited <laughs> when I play it, but then I think I just get frustrated when I am not correct. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, essentially for anyone that hasn't played search for planet X, you have to deduce where planet X is based on different variables because it's either close to asteroids or away from comments or, away from a dead planet. So, I, I mean, there's different different rules. Those aren't the rules, but it's based off different rules, based off different sectors on the board. Um, and the app helps you, like, kind of check your answers.
1: It kind of reminds me of those old puzzles when we were kids that, that's like, uh, Steve is the tallest student, and student C is standing next to student D, and Jennifer has a dog. Which one has three sisters? You know what I mean? It's, it's those kinds of deductive puzzles. But you said that the, the goal was to find Planet X, and that's true. But the other thing that I really enjoyed about that game is it's a bit more forgiving because you don't win the game by finding Planet X. You're finding a bunch of small things along the way and scoring points for that as well. So even if you're sort of doing decently well and finding lots of things slowly, even if you're not the first one to find Planet X, you could still potentially win the game. And I thought that was kind of interesting.
0: Right, right. I, I'm i trying to remember if anyone... Because we played it probably like five times. Um, I lost every time, so I don't really remember. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Awesome. Um, uh, so, Carl, do you have any last words of advice to teachers or anything else to share as far as using games to either introduce new content or reinforce content before we head into our game?
1: I mean, basically, I'd, I would just say if it's something that interests you, definitely go for it. Try it. Um, I can't say that it's been 100% easy to get it done it does take a lot of class time to explain rules a lot of the time especially i'm working in a school with a very big esl population so sometimes it takes more time to explain things than i think that it should um but i do think that it's important for the students to have a chance to sort of play with the ideas that they're learning in class and the amount of time it takes to teach the rules is not necessarily a bad thing and I understand sometimes, I'm in a private school, so it's a little bit different, but I understand sometimes in the public school situation, there's this real crunch to get through the content in a certain amount of time, but I do think that extra amount of time is generally worth it for things like this.
0: Right. I forgot we were kind of chatting about that through email, and I I, I agree with you. I think that the... I don't know if I want to say the the playing the game that using the game that takes away the time you have for learning is really I don't I like I don't even want to say take away because when you're playing a game even even if it's not necessarily related to your content you're still forming these relationships and building relationships with your students you're you're seen as a teacher that is a bit more excited and playful and that in itself helps the learning process in your classroom and in your uh, culture that you develop in your classroom you know students are more excited you know they're more they know their teacher cares because you're taking those extra steps to help engage them in the
1: learning i will however say and i learned from experience make sure the students are playing the games that the students understand how to play the games before you jump in and play with them (laughs) because i i made the mistake of, of joining in with a group because they didn't have enough numbers and then there were one or two other groups that were lost and i wasn't able to walk around the room helping them figure out how to play the game so Make sure the students are playing correctly before you uh, go play with a certain group.
0: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I know. I we were just on a I was just chatting with someone about playing a game that requires secret roles and I w- had the hindsight of not playing because if I were to play, I would have a secret role and then I couldn't help people understand their secret roles. And that's a, a situation where it's a game that you you really need a moderator because If someone has a secret role and they don't know what it does, they're just not going to engage in the game. They're going to kind of not play. All right, Carl, so stick around. We'll be back with you and Rich for our game. But we're going to chat with Rich a little bit more about this topic. All right, and we're back. Rich, what did you think about that? What are some initial thoughts of our discussion?
2: Yeah, I, I really liked it. Uh, I think he puts in like a, a great context into the idea of when you need to when you should introduce a topic and the benefits of that for sure. I I can't agree more about uh, you know multiple trivia games and playing Jeopardy over and over again. I, I You know, students ask to play those things sometimes and it's like, can't can't we do something else, guys? But uh, yeah, I completely agree with that. And to use it with content, you know, it it reminds me, I don't know if you're familiar with like the term uh, churning a classroom inside out. It's the idea that like uh, students are going to like learn something at home and then they do the practical work in class. So I I can see like some of the games he talks about, like have the students look over it when they're at their house. And then when they're in the class, you know, you're using the the resources of the teacher and the other peers in the class to kind of really make it into like a learning environment that's also enjoyable. But what were your thoughts?
0: Right. I really like that, too, is is the flipped classroom where you're looking at different ways you can kind of create activities either outside the classroom that would normally be done inside the classroom or vice versa, and that's something I chatted about on uh, the Diesol D I E S O O L podcast. It's about English language teaching through Ed Tech, and that's something that they talk about in using like I don't know language learning activities for looking at the rule book or watching a video of how to play a game as homework, and then coming to class and playing the game and building like uh, comprehension questions around
2: those types of activities. I think it also goes to like that big question of in education, right? Like uh, theory work versus practical work, right? A lot of times we want the students to, you know, at least in high school level, they oftentimes do have the ability to like read and kind of understand the theory work uh, by reading, by videos, by things where you don't need the one-on-one interaction or the interaction in person compared to the practical sense of it. And, you know, you can think of like curriculums i'm sure carl also taught like maybe an international curriculum that in some of their like exams that from new york i can talk from my high school experience we had something called like the Regences. and the Regences were just like a test that you took a multiple choice test you take it and then you do well or you don't and that that's it um but in some of like these international curriculums like i could think of igcse even ib a lot of the tests are two parts one part is like a theory part where it is the multiple choice section and the other part is like a lab for example or even uh in some like the soft sciences it would be like a portfolio and i think that goes into the the part where you're actually doing the practical things in class i think it will help for sure with you know uh the practical uh paper or the practical test that a lot of those international curriculums actually give
0: right and that's what i think what games do really well too is show theory and practice right you're playing the game through the practice of whatever you know whatever that theory might be i i love i wish my background was in psychology i just kind of look at some games through psychology just for fun but just looking at some of the theories within games either psychology and economics are huge there's huge theories economic theories within game systems which is just crazy what so one thing we talked about, maybe you can touch on a little bit, and I'd be curious because I am we kind of came up with a solution, and I was trying to think of one, and you have some experience with teaching language or even if you have experience with your background in history, how would you use games to introduce new content? I think that's the that's the one thing that's um kind of you have to be willing to take a leap of faith as a teacher when you do that um do you have any? Any examples of times you would
2: do that? Yeah, It's funny you say that now because I was just talking to some of my uh, co-teachers and we're all saying like, you know what, the administration has been pretty relaxed lately just because of COVID and they have a good understanding of the stress the teachers are going on. So at least I feel now a little more willing to take those risks and willing to, I wouldn't say have a failed class, but have a class where I can learn from false. <laughs> That's right. The really nice political way to say that. Um right. But yeah. Uh, so I, I think to introduce it kind of, kind of as we, we said, like I know a lot of these games, they have YouTube channels or YouTube videos at home, have students depending on their age as their homework or their assignment that they need to do for the next class, watch it, have them even take notes on that if needed. And then when they come back, it, it will be at least they'll have a background about it. it, it Cause you know, even when you teach a content, uh, you, you shouldn't just have students start from scratch. Uh, it's it's probably pretty similar when it comes to some sort of game or activity that you're going to do.
0: Right, right. I think all teachers are very familiar with the concept of scaffolding and mm-hmm. bringing them into to playing the game. That's really important when and that's something we te- talked about on the podcast in the past is just teaching games to players, like just not even in a classroom, but just teaching a player how to play a game you kind of have to scaffold the game and how to do that for the, the player
2: yeah so i, I think as you're mentioning like even if you gave like the written you know rules of the game for homework assignment have them come back and they already have some sort of basic idea how to do it and then you can kind of explain it on your own if they on your own if they have any questions or concerns or something along those lines
0: Right, right. And I love your uh, political correct way. And another podcast I listen to is the Professor Game Podcast. And he always starts with this question. and It's, what is your first, first attempt in learning or fail <laughs> for using game-based learning and gamification? And I think, I mean, I don't know. Uh, another podcast, John Cassie talks about swinging for the fences for your students. They're going to notice you're swinging for the fences when you do things like that. Mm-hmm. And are going to be in awe of you as a teacher to be able to try to do something do do you have any
2: examples of a a learning of uh, a challenge where you tried to do a project and it didn't didn't work out oh
0: so so many um i mean one one that i did was uh we did leaderboards and that's a i don't know how i went down that path but that's not a great thing to do for gamification especially in in education um but yeah, there's there's so many. I, I people will have to go back through the podcast to listen to some of them.
2: I, I just recall one of mine. I was teaching uh, like sixth grade or seventh grade or something, and I thought, oh, I'll do this cool project where students will make paper because they're learning about like making paper in, uh, <laughs> in like you know one of the four Chinese. Uh, like great inventions, and we tried to do it, and it was just miserable. Oh, no. Like, you have to use like <laughs> newspapers that we picked it up. It's like, well, see, we learned that it's really hard to make paper, yeah, guys. There you but, go. <laughs> uh, I spent a lot of time on that, too. I, oh, I felt man. like, oh boy, but eh, learn from it, right? Yeah. That's what you
0: right. Mean. Right. All right. So, Rich, we're going to move into the game. This is Wits mm-hmm. and Wagers, and it's the family edition, or at least the rules that I follow are based on the family edition version of the game. Um, but then I kind of modify it for the podcast. And actually, as of this recording or very soon, we'll have this game in our store on BoardGameWithEducation.com. Super excited, actually, because I love this game. And it's a great game to kind of do at the beginning of class as like a classroom culture exercise or like to kind of grow culture through games. But the game. So I'm going to give you a statement. And it might be like, how tall is Eiffel Tower? And you'll have to give me a number. How tall is Eiffel Tower in feet? And you'll give me a number. And after you give me the number, I'm going to give you three other numbers. So you can choose to stick with your number and double down on it, or Mm -hmm. choose a different one. If you choose a different one, and that one's closest to the actual number, you get one point. If you double down on your number, and that one's actually closer, you get two points. Then you can score... One more point against Carl. So if yours is closer than Carl's, you get one more point. So you could end up being, you could end up tying, you could end up winning. So we'll see how it plays out. You're actually oh, a, I win. I've yeah, won game Yeah, you're you're over two. <laughs> you. This is the first time doing this on the podcast. This game, I've recorded a couple other uh, times of this game with just the one other person. So this is the first time bringing the second person onto it. So I'm hoping this turns out well. So, the statement is, every second, on average, how many slices of pizza are sold in the
2: United States? Per second.
0: Per second.
2: How many slices of pizza are sold? Now, does this include like a, a pizza pie? Like a whole pie? Is that a slice? Just or is a it slice. individual slice. A slice. Huh. All right. I'll put some of my ideas. I, I feel like slices of pizza are really more of a like a New York east coast thing. Like in, in DC, I never see slices <laughs> of their full pies. It's it's crazy. So I, it's it's probably lower than than I would originally said if I, you know, only were in New York. Um so I'm going to say per second so people mm, and that's average. So okay, so that's like 24 hours. All right. Um I will go with 14. 14. Per is it the world or just the US?
0: The US, just the United States.
2: Okay, 14. 14. Yeah, 14 All right.
0: century. And for anyone listening, and then, and for anyone listening that wants to play along, I'm going to play for you Carl's answer. Rich did not hear this answer yet. So this is just for you listening. We're going to listen to Carl's answer. Here we go. So in the US, how many slices of pizza are sold every second? Every Second.
1: Wow. Wow. Um, Let's say, geez,
0: 10,000. All right, now back to Rich. I'm going to play for you the other three answers. And for anyone playing along, here are the other three answers for you to either double down on your own answer or choose a new one. And these are the three numbers that I have 56, 353, or 3,000. <laughs> so your number's way <laughs> up there, but. Who knows? Oh, Who knows? So those are <laughs> yeah. those are numbers that were just randomly randomly picked by me. Um they're not necessarily correct. They could be spot on, but not necessarily. So if you're playing at home, you can double down on your answer. If your answer is closer than both, the co-host, you will score two points. Or you can choose a new answer, and if that new answer is the closest, you will score one point. And again, those numbers are 56, 353, and 3,000. Let's listen to Rich and Carl and see what they did.
2: So I'm going to go 56. For a second.
1: Yeah. Well, if I learned anything from Let's Make a Deal, I'm supposed to always change to the different door the second time. But I think I'll think I think I'll go ahead and stick with my number just to see how it plays out.
2: Right, like how fast can you even serve them? It's a, all a across the United away? States. Ever been on these lines? <laughs> they take forever. Yeah, but come on, they still pies and other places, Here we go. slices.
0: So we have a double down on the 10,000 from Carl, and a switch to 56 from Rich. So again, if Carl ends up being closest with his number 10,000, he's going to score three points, and if Rich ends up being closer, or 56 ends up being the closest number out of all of them, He gets one more point. And then also if his number, his original number is closer than Carl's original number, he'll score another point. So let's hear the correct answer. So the actual answer based on this website that I found, so (laughs) there could be maybe different data, but 350 slices are sold every second. (laughs) So you could still potentially win, depending on what the co-host does. Maybe <laughs> they do like one million, <laughs> you would, and then they wager on theirs. You would win there. So I think I think you won that one. You're one for three, because you you switched you switched All to fifty six, right, take- which earned you zero points. Carl doubled down on two thousand, which earns him zero points, because neither of those are closest. The closest was three hundred fifty three. But the answer is 350, which makes your answer closer than Carl's. So you get a point. All right. Yeah. so' I'll take the one, W.
2: One nothing. I'll take the win-win. You All right, can. Rich,
0: thank you again for coming on the show. And thank you for having me. I hope your second semester of the pandemic turns out okay. And hopefully next year we'll be back in the classroom and we'll see you on again, hopefully before the end of the semester.
2: All right. Sounds good. Have a good day.
0: All right. So. Thank you for playing, Carl, and thank you for coming on the show. If anyone wanted to reach out to you, your YouTube channel is Purple Moose Plays. Uh, where would they find you outside of that?
1: Um, otherwise, I also run it. My, actually, I'm more more active on Instagram. Same thing, Purple Moose Plays. I don't really have any sort of public education. I should be working on a Twitter or something, but I unfortunately don't have anything. But if you do want to reach out to me through Instagram about education rather than gaming, I'd be more than happy to talk to you that way as well.
0: Awesome, yeah, I think um it's it's hard to juggle those things. I remember I was running my personal Twitter account that was more like a teacher and fun board game stuff, and then I was trying to run a board game with education Twitter. I was like, all right, I'm just
1: giving up i just <laughs> uh-huh. using the well I, I created one. Stuff. I took a teaching with technology course as part of my master's degree a couple of years ago and I created a Twitter account with that and it was active for about a month or two. And then I just, yeah, got busy with other things and it sort of fell to the wayside.
2: Right.
0: Yeah, right. Totally. All right, Carl, thank you again for coming on the show.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been fun.